December the 31st of 2023, I have a question for all of us. Where are you going? Where are you going as we move forward uh, individually and as a church, as a people? Where are you headed? I fly on planes enough to know how to avoid conversations. And there really is just a few options. Option one is to put in my earbuds. Option two is to close my eyes while I have the earbuds in. And if those two things don't work, I just tell people that I'm a pastor. They don't want to talk to you when they find out that you're a pastor. With one exception, one time this Unitarian Universalist lady uh, was sitting beside me on a plane and she asked if I wanted to do a pulpit swap. I told her I was good. Uh, I'm solid. I'll come for you. Uh, <laughs> If you do engage with someone when they find out that you're a pastor, they're going to want to have conversations with you about certain things. They're going to tell you about their problems with God, their problems with you, and they're going to talk to you about where you're headed. In November, I realized that, I, so I fly Southwest. If you're unfamiliar with Southwest, you should be because you live here in the Houston area. I've always been a Delta snob until I moved here a few years ago. And now I'm a, a Southwest plebeian. But you know, just that commoner air. Uh, but in November, I realized I needed two legs of a Southwest flight to, to keep my status for 2024. Now, that's nothing to really brag about. All it means is that you get to upgrade for free or move flights easily. And they let you fly the plane sometimes, stuff like that. And uh, I tried to pay them off. I told the lady on the other line, can I just give you the money? She said, no, sir, you need to come to the airport and fly to flights one there and one back and I'm like I've got to get a flight from Lake Jackson to Houston to do this what a problem this is and so I decided I'm going to fly to Dallas and then as quickly as I can I'll fly back to Houston oh the conversation comes up when you're sitting on the flight next to a person you've never met before well where are you headed I'll ask a lady because sometimes I'm the person who's overly extroverted. Where are you headed? And she said to me that she was going to the Mall of America with her child. And her reply to me was, where are you headed? I told her I was going to the food court at Love Field. <laughs> On the way back, I'm sitting beside a mom and her daughter. And I said, where are you headed? And she said, we're going on a cruise that was postponed due to COVID. It was her high school graduation present. She's 43 now. And... And what about you? Where are you headed? I told her I was going to Costco as soon as I left the airport. Just this weird flight. Where are you headed? So we come to the end of the year and there's a lot of focus on where you've been, what we just wrapped up, what we've just come through. And I want us to think about where we're going. Where are you going? You may think to yourself, does the Bible even talk about New Year's? Not really. It, it really throws it off in Joshua when the sun stands still. 365 days is really it's thrown upside down. Uh, but there is this festival the, called the Rosh Hashanah that you can kind of see sort of in Leviticus. Maybe, but it's a festival of trumpets. That, don't mean, that doesn't mean they eat trumpets. It just means this, they uh, are going to think through celebrating the harvest. And we don't have any crops in here that I know of. We do have a field that I would like to buy that's overly priced. But we can look at this, what the scriptures say to us, not about the new year or the old year, but where we're moving, not so much in 2024, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. 
Let me catch you up if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or unfamiliar with the book of Hebrews. That's where we're at today, Hebrews chapter 12. We don't know who wrote it. It wasn't me. Uh, but it does point out, we can learn some things from the book of Hebrews. If you're unfamiliar with the book, the theme of it really comes down to this. Jesus is better. You may say, better than what? And the answer to that is yes. Whatever that thing is, he's better than that. He's better than what you want, and he's better than what you think that you need. He's better than every single thing in all of the earth. He's better than the things where we place our value, where we find our worth, because in all reality, Jesus is the most valuable, the most worthy person in the entirety of creation. So when we look through the book of Hebrews, here are the things that we can see about Jesus just to catch us up. Jesus is the very word of God according to chapter 1. He is to God what rays are to the sun. Jesus is to God what a wax impression is to a signature. And we also see in the book of Hebrews that he is the hope of new creation because Jesus is the heir of all things. Every single thing in all of creation belongs to Jesus. He's the eternal high priest. That means that right now for every Jesus is going before God on your behalf. He's the, he is the forever sacrifice for your sin. That the work of Jesus on the cross has done a work so that you have been made right with God for forever on top of forever. He's the everlasting king. Jesus is the righteous judge. That's just a smidge of what we see in the book of Hebrews. And with all of that in mind, that just quick catch up on the first, 11, first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Two verses today. Therefore, 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 since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we look to this text, what we can see for every believing person in this room is followers move forward. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are to be moving forward. We are moving forward as a people in our pursuit of who God is and what he has done. Followers move forward. We can also see a few things also in the text. We can see this. That one, we're not the first and we won't be the last. You're not the first person to go through what you've gone through. Now maybe you're the first person who's gone through it in the way that you have, but all of us are dealing with things that have been dealt with before and God has laid out a way. The word therefore, it's a word that may have lost a tad bit of its meaning because every one of us has heard the pastors make the joke about why is the therefore, therefore. And I try to avoid that altogether. But what it can really be understood to mean is this. It's more than just a word sitting there in space statically. It's this declaration of the writer of the book of Hebrews. Look at this. 
God is saying, look at this. We are surrounded by a large cloud of witnesses. Look at this. So for every situation and every scenario that we have gone through in our lives, you are surrounded by believers who have been through something similar. Look at this. Look at how God carried these people through and how God is going to carry you through because he doesn't stop caring for his people. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't condemn us. He actually took our condemnation for us. Look at this. We have been surrounded by a large cloud, cloud of witnesses. Well, what's that mean? Because we don't talk about clouds a lot. In Lake Jackson, we have clouds everywhere. They're, they're these pretty colors because of chemicals. There's this idea that we're the only people going through what we go through. When, when it talks about this great cloud of witnesses, it reminds us of walking through the halls of a high school. And you see all of the pictures that are there. And you see them and you go through and you think, man, my, my bangs were banging back then. Those were really good bangs that I had. And now your bangs have banged out. They have left you behind. Or, or you look and you begin to think through, oh man, I look so different when I was wearing that piece of jewelry at that point in history. What a poor decision that was. Or why did I have so many track jackets in high school? These things are what run through our minds. When you walk through the halls of a high school, you see pictures of who graduated before you. And it points out to every kid who goes up and down those halls every day as they're dealing with chemistry, and they're dealing with English, and they're dealing with math, and they're whatever they walk through, there are people who have been through this before you. And they are there to remind you, in the words of Rob Schneider, you can do it. You can do this. We look through the book of Hebrews and we get to chapter 12 and when it says look at this this cloud of witnesses is listed out completely in chapter 11 we, we can see that Abel as in Cain and Abel was known for the offering that he made to God was accepted by God because of his genuine faith we can also know that Abel was betrayed by family. So for every one of us who are coming to the end of 2023 and we look and we feel as if we've been betrayed by someone we love, that happened to him. Look at this. God carried him through. He'll carry you through as well. Or, or, or Enoch, that he walked faithfully with God and was taken by God, not experiencing death, that he walked with God. So for every one of us who are thinking to ourselves going into this new year, I don't know what it means to walk faithfully with God. God says, yes, you can. You can walk with me. And to Noah, who was obedient to God and, and built an ark when everyone around him was saying, what is rain? You can be obedient in the face of crazy things. For Abraham, who's called to leave his homeland and go to a place that God would show him. So for every one of us, that God's, God takes us into this next step. Not 2024, but tomorrow. To lunch. God's saying to you, you can be faithful to me and I'll be faithful to you. To his wife Sarah, she's mentioned for her faith in God's promise. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All of these are mentioned. 
collectively for their faith and blessings passed on to their descendants. Spends a lot of time with Moses. And as you look at Moses, Moses left the pleasures of Egypt and, and embraced what God would call him to be, the Rahab, the prostitute. She protected the Israelite spies and she demonstrated faith in God. God does this to show us, every believing person in this room, whatever you are facing going into tomorrow, you're not the first person to face that. So for all of us who have dealt with death this year and loss, maybe of loved ones or jobs or relationships, God says, I'm going to carry you through because I'm the only one who can. I'm the only one who can. I'm the only one who can faithfully and truthfully get you to tomorrow because I'm the one who got you to today. All the while, you see this interaction in the Scripture of God working in the lives of His people and calling them to action. There are no passive words when you walk through this hall of faith. Noah built. Abraham left. Jacob blessed. Joseph instructed. Moses chose. Joshua fought. Rahab protected. While God is being faithful to you, He is calling you to act in response to His faithfulness. How will we act? You're not the first. You won't be the last. But how will you be faithful tomorrow? How will you be faithful later today? But Chad, I'm so distracted. Life is overwhelming. We are distracted. We have distractions. We also have a destination. Let's keep looking at the text. It says this, Since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us cast, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race marked before us. So if I'm going to follow Jesus into tomorrow, that means that there are things in my life that I need to leave behind, that I need to walk away from. There are arguments that I need to leave. There are interactions with people I need to leave I take the children's dog to the dog park on Friday. I take him regularly. Another man walked up to me on Friday while I had the kid's dog at the dog park and said to me, he had this dog I'd never seen before. He said, he is an American dingo, which means that he doesn't, he says it like this, a dingo ate your baby. He is the fastest dog in the park. That's what the man said about his dog. And I thought, how dare you? My kid's dog is faster than yours. I'm so competitive with people about things like dogs and children. I just kept trying to get those two dogs to run together the whole time. And the man that was standing beside me, he was trying to get those dogs to run together too. Do you know who did not want to run with the other dog? Either of them. They were so distracted. They were distracted by every other dog. They weren't distracted by things that were wrong. They were just distracted by things that existed. They were distracted by things that were surrounding them. They were distracted by other dogs and their toys. They were distracted by other dogs that were going to the, to the potty. They were distracted by every single thing. There's nothing wrong with the things that distracted them. They just were there. When we looked at this text, it, said, it talks about the idea of the things that hinder and the sin that so easily ensnares us. There are two things that are at play there. That's, that's four. Two. There are two things that are at play there, and I don't want us to miss it. There, is, there are the things that hinder us, and there is the sin that's there as well. Not every issue in your life is the result of your sin. 
mean, every issue is sin-induced because we live in a fallen world. But the thing that we have to ask ourselves, as if we're really going to follow Jesus going into tomorrow, is this. I want to look more like Jesus this year than I did last. I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today. And none of us who are showing up on New Year's Eve are saying to ourselves, you know what, I would like to look less like Jesus. I'm going to embrace my paganism more in 2024. But what we can see as followers of Christ in this world is this. That when you look to the text and you see these very two unique things, there will be times for us when things are not necessarily sin. They're just a struggle. Your commentary on someone else's political stance may not necessarily be a sin, but it may be something that really is a trap for you. And you're just caught up in it. Or maybe your frustration with your neighbor who just will not protect their garbage from those dogs that keep getting loose in the neighborhood. Not my children's dog, other people's. We can allow things to cause us to look less like Jesus than we should. Letting things go is part of us moving forward. It it, it talks about the sin that is there as well. Now, make no mistake, while there are things in your life that will distract you that are not sin, there are things that are. And the things that are sin need to be left behind as well. And I would encourage you to do whatever you can to leave those things behind. If it's an addiction, I would encourage you to leave that behind. And I would say this to you. If you are struggling with an addiction, and you've tried for the last seven years to deal with that addiction on your own, the possibility of you doing the exact same thing and it not changing this next year is... uh, That's not going to happen. That's the definition of insanity, actually. It would be finding someone who would come alongside of you to hold you accountable, to care for you, to love you, to impress upon you what it means to walk in accountability and in a, really in a discipleship relationship to leave what was and walk toward who is. The passage is talking to us about the idea of us and then it moves from us leaving sin and leaving the struggles that have tied us up and it says this, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. If we are not having your funeral right now, there is a race in front of you. If we're not going to celebrate the end of your life, that means that you're still living. When he points out, the writer of this book, that we should endure, that word in and of itself is saying to us that there is some difficulty to this. This is not easy. This will take effort. This is the path that God has given you. Are we going to go on that? Or or will we find ourselves in this cul-de-sac of stupidity that we can get stuck in at times where we're trying to do something different while we're in the same place. While we're saying that we're going to be something unique when in reality there's nothing unique about our behavior in comparison to the year before, the day before, the moment before. Let us run with endurance. 
we are simultaneously in this passage told to do two things. We are told to avoid, avoid the distractions and avoid the sin and leave those behind and endure. He's using race language here. We're going to run a race. Now, the idea of training for a race, according to Wikipedia, really comes down to this. There, there is the notion that you would train by having weights on your back that at the point where you begin to run, you leave those. And whoever wrote this, whether it's Barnabas or, or Apollos or, or Paul or whomever, he's pointing out that you should leave the things that were holding you back and really realize that where you're moving now is by God's design. And don't allow those things to keep you from being who God would have you to be and living the life that God would have you to live and doing the things that God would have you to do. We're told to avoid and we're told to endure and to see that this is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. Thankfully, because who likes to sprint? Really? It's an endurance race. How do we do this? Well, how do we keep moving in the direction that God would have us to move? We set ourselves up in such a way that Jesus is our focus. Look at what it says here. It says that you are to keep your eyes on Jesus in verse 2. The source and the perfecter of your faith. Your translation may say the author of your faith or the completer of your faith. The start, the finish. Revelation languages, the alpha, the omega. What's it mean? Well, when we're having a, a chat with the writer of the book of Hebrews about what it means for us to be an, an enduring people, it's saying to us this, that Jesus blazed a trail when there was none, and he turned around and paved it so that it would be simpler for us. There was no path. Jesus made a path, and it was incredibly difficult. And Jesus has paved a way. Jesus has paved a way so that we could stand in right relationship with God. Because the whole book of Hebrews is about people attempting to find right standing with God in ways other than Jesus. You're not going to find right standing with God in ways other than Jesus. Jesus is who brings encouragement and satisfaction to God. Jesus is the one who is the hope of Christianity. Not our moral value system, though that may be reflective of who Jesus is, but Jesus is our hope. It says this in the text, for the joy that lay before him. Jesus was anticipating in this text the joy of his exaltation. Exaltation is a big Bible word. Let's do work. The idea that Jesus would be elevated to this place where as Paul will say in Philippians, the name above all names, the king above all kings, he was anticipating the joy of that. 
Well, what is the joy that's there? In part, that joy is the redemption of lost people. In part, that joy is your redemption. I, I don't know at what point we decided to live in the doldrums of the Christian faith where we would be satisfied by our wickedness, never examining that God did not intend for things to be that way. And God has made it right and restored you to himself because the beauty is that joy is you. Jesus finds joy in you. If you don't need, take hold of anything else I say this morning, moving into tomorrow, Jesus finds joy in you. But I'm a failure. Jesus finds joy in you. I'm a terrible parent. Jesus, if you're a believer, finds joy in you. That's you. That's your redemption. That is you and me being included in this hall of faith. Do you see that in this very list that he gives in the book of Hebrews? You're part of that. You are included and you are seen in the way that Abel is seen. You are seen in the way that Moses is seen. You are treasured by God. As you and me being included. It's, it's every knee bowing. It's every tongue confessing. Well, well, what about the glory of God? Did Jesus not die for the glory of God? Absolutely. But here's the truth. Jesus had God's full glory. He left that and he is that. Your redemption matters to him. He joys in you. He endured the cross despising its shame and he sat down at the right hand of God enduring the cross means that Jesus he did not find joy in the cross it doesn't seem to be a very joyful experience but on the cross every bit of your sin was dealt with none of it was not dealt with that's a double negative but it's a pretty good bible despising the shame that came with it. All of sin's power over you was placed on the crucified body of Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of God. This is Saul. When you read through Hebrews, that guy knows the Old Testament so well. Whoever wrote this is very pro-Old Testament. In Psalm 110, verse 1. This is the declaration of the, of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The ultimate enemy of God is sin and death and the grave. And Jesus has told death to leave. He has shown death the door. And says that it has no power over those who have been called to him and redeemed by him. So you look at this. And for all that sin is going to cause you to struggle. And make no bones about it. You are going to struggle with sin in the upcoming year. And I would encourage you to leave that behind. Whatever is causing you to struggle. 
Walk away from it. Find people who are going to pull you away from it. Detach yourselves from it. Be part of something that takes you from it. There's a possibility that you're wondering what God has for you in this next year. What does God want me to do in 2024? And we're always trying to find something new. What's the new thing that we're going to do? This is why we have resolutions, like eat more brisket. Whatever he called you to, is calling you to in 2024, it's what he had for you in 2023 as well. What are those things? Well, Jesus is pretty clear. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What are some other things that we can look to? Well, what is it that, what is the good that God would have me to do? Is there a new good? Well, Micah 6 says this, that he's told you what is good. He, He wants you to, and this is what the Lord requires of you, believing people. I want you to act justly. I want you to love faithfulness. I want you to walk humbly with the Lord your God. What if we look at this next year and we make the decision that the things that were unlike Jesus in our behavior, we're not going to do those things anymore. What if we choose to not use shame and guilt as motivators for ourselves or for anyone else? Because if we're going to follow Jesus, you're following Jesus so that he can erase your shame altogether, so that he can remove your guilt. Why would we choose to work in the way that the world does to do in, in regard to shame and guilt? We walk away from those things. Frederick Buechner says this, Presbyterian pastor, the place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What would God have you to do? Who would God have you to be? To be a person who sees that the joy that you have found in Jesus is going to meet the needs of those who encounter you who do not have a relationship with Christ Jesus. What if we did that? What if we just chose that? One small step in this enduring race. Moving forward. Hebrews, all of Hebrews 11 comes after Hebrews 10 because that's how numbers work. And at the end of chapter 10, it says this, which gives, really, it opens the door for 11 and 12. About believing people. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and are saved. Those outside of Christ will function in ways that retreat from difficulty and who live with destruction surrounding We don't function the way that our society functions if we are going to follow Jesus. We move forward as those who have faith and are saved. We hold on to that. We can hold on to that, honestly, not because of what we do, but because of all that Christ has done. Because he endured the cross, because he scorned its shame, because he, he sat down at the right hand of God. We can know this, that we're not finished, but he is. He is. Everything that needs to be done for us to be right with God has been done. 
Every week as a family of faith, we, we take uh, communion. If you're here with us and you're not a member of Grace, we're so glad you're here. We are thankful that you'll be part of our, our, our church gathering this week. And if you're a believer in Christ, whether you're a member of Grace or not, when we take communion, I want you to know that we believe that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we invite you to the table. We invite you to the table because we have been made part of something bigger, something greater, something stronger, and that is the unified people of God who stand together with every other believer in the entirety of the world and say, we have one hope, and that's the person of Jesus. So when we come to the table, if you're a believer, take of the bread, drink of the cup, and be satisfied in that Jesus has made this possible for us. If you're not a believer... This doesn't mean anything to you. It's a wafer. You'll probably think it's stale. It's grape juice. It's not even the good kind. It's just stuff. But we as a family of faith look at this and say, we are remembering all that God has done for us and his son. His broken body, his shed blood. Our hope as Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. You're invited to the table, not because I invite you, but because Jesus does. Would you guys to bow your heads with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to join together in your word, to see that your word is good, and it's true, and it's, it's valuable. And Father, we thank you that we get to get together on a day that really can be chaotic. And we get to meet with you who is order. We pray that you'll direct us. That you'll help us to know you more. And Father, I do pray over these folks that they won't worry so much about New Year's resolutions. But they'll see the work that you have done in their souls. So that they can know that they are a new creation. For every believer, God, help our unbelief. Meet us where we need to be met. Carry us through the way we need to be carried. You have done a work that we could not do. I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. I know that um, it can be a tad bit intimidating, but I would love to pray for you if you need to be prayed for this morning. And as everyone moves to come to the table, you feel free to come meet with me. I'd love just to pray a blessing and pray over you and encourage you. Um, thankful for the chance we have to meet together in His Word today. Just stand with us.